Hello, Pastor Heron. Okay. Yeah. Yes. All right, we're going to get started, and I'm just going to do a, a brief intro and, and get us going. All right. Okay, wonderful. Hello, beautiful people. You're listening to Mission Possible. I'm Sheila Murphy, Chief Mobilizer for Mission to Mobilization, focused on resourcing and changing perception for returning citizens. Out of the 4.5 million returning citizens living in this country, we are talking to some of them, hearing their success stories, and highlighting the amazing things across the nation that they are doing to positively impact our communities. You will also hear from the coach, Nate's battle plan that always encourages us to live our best life right now. This week's Mission Possible guest is Pastor Brian Herring. He is my longtime community friend, and Pastor Herring will share his incarcerated past, homecoming, and his community. Please welcome and open your hearts to my hometown friend, Pastor Herring. Pastor Herring? Yeah. Hello. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing great this morning. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Wonderful. Feeling feeling extremely blessed and peaceful. That's right. That's right. That's good. That's real good. Um, I want us to get started, and I just I would just like for you to take us back a bit. You know, you come from a very prominent church you know, in the community, and I believe that maybe for many of um, our community, your incarceration caught us off guard. And we just want to thank you in advance for sharing and talking about how your, um, your, your incarceration affected your family and the church at that time. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, um, and it still is at times, very difficult. Uh, uh, to even think on it or to talk about it because it caught me off guard. Uh, never in a million years did I expect to be going to prison. Um, my most insane days in the streets and in my life, I never uh, thought I would go to prison, but I found myself in a situation. I was a city council member uh, representing the 8th Ward and uh, got myself into trouble by uh, asking and accepting money from a business owner in my ward. Uh, and they charged me with extortion under the color of an elected official. Mm. And it was devastating. My, my family um, uh, was very deeply hurt by it. But, but, but my family and my church stood by me. Uh, my father said he knew my character. Mm, okay. That was something, you know. And he, he stood by me. And the church stood by me and they prayed for me. And my family stood with me. And it was a long, difficult road because uh, they were trying to decide if I was going to be charged. And so it went on for a year, almost a year before I was ever really charged or anything. Okay. Um, and so that was the difficult, that was even a more difficult process of wondering if I'm going to be charged. And then when they did charge me, 
that's that's amazing that's beautiful that's beautiful you know my um my background is in church administration and some community development and it just begs me you know to ask you how you felt like your incarceration overall hit the church you know you it was it was hard for you but what kind of um, impact do you feel like it made and then how are you really personally recovering from that amen well the interesting thing was that um, um, first of all I began to feel like something very spiritual was happening to me okay and and that um, there was something um, uh, God was beginning to do in my life that I had not allowed him to do before. The second thing is that uh, many of the people in the church uh, talked in terms of uh, you're going to be okay because God is in this. Hmm. And and I, I have to be honest, it took me a while to see the light because everything seemed so dark and it didn't seem like anything good could come out of this. Hmm. Uh, but, but holding my, my church family and my family held my hope when I was not really able to hope. Um, that's, that's good. And all I could do most of the time was cry. Right. I cried more than I've ever cried before mm. in my entire life. But now um, I came out better, uh, stronger, wiser, and more committed to God and, and serving him in a way that I could have only dreamed of. Yeah. The transformation is real. God is real. And the way that he revealed himself to me in that place, the interesting thing is he showed me who he was mm. and loved me when I was at my very worst. Wow. Wow. That, that, that is, that's, that's powerful. It really is because I was thinking about, you know, how the church responded and said that, you know, God is in this and there's so many people that don't either have a relationship with God or don't know what that means and you just so eloquently you know brought us to that place to that end to say you were changed and uh and and that that process as painful as it was um changed who you are and who you are to become who I was yeah but let me say this, that there were the, uh, the critics. Sure. There were harsh words. Uh, there were the people in the church and in the community who were really heartbroken, and I understood it. And the one thing that I never tried to do because God told me, uh, this is an amazing thing, he spoke to me and he said, don't fight. This battle's not yours, it's mine. And I accepted every criticism. I accepted 
harsh word. And I never tried to return fire. I never tried to defend myself. I, I, I just knew that, um, that this was bigger than anything that was being talked about. Mm -hmm. yes. And that it was, you know, and, and so I just had to be obedient to God and repentive. Uh, and, and, and I was humbled. You know, yeah. I, I, I was humbled through the humiliation. It was very w w widely known. I was in the news for almost two or three years. And even now it's mentioned from time to time. It hit national news. And, uh, you know, so great humiliation. But in all of that, God humbled me and taught me and showed me exactly who he was. And I'll say one other thing. In all my prayers, I never prayed not to go to prison. Hmm. Wow. My only, my only prayer was, obviously, I have missed you. I want to know you. So I never will miss you again. That was my whole prayer up, leading up to incarceration and all through the incarceration. I spent a years seeking to know God. That's powerful. That is powerful. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, thank you, Pastor. Um, I want uh, I want us to to transition a little bit because you wear you wear a couple of um, hats and and have a lens that often people do not have. Uh, and so, as a pastor and as a community leader, you have a lot of great perspective on returning citizens once they're released. And I, I want to hear maybe your top three concerns for um, folks once they get out. Yes. Um, number one, um, whatever you do in that place is what you're going to do when you get out. And so work on the change of heart and mind so that when you come out, you're ready for whatever you have to face. Number two, we have to develop and be more accepting of people returning from incarceration. Mm. There have to be doors that open for them. Housing is a must um, because you, they have, you have so many things to worry about when you come out. Uh, and if we can take care of the basics, then it gives them more of an opportunity to be successful when they come out. Number three is that uh, prison itself must be transformed. I didn't say reform. I said transform. Okay. Prison itself and, and, and the systems of incarceration as well as the justice system itself must be transformed. Um, you can't incarcerate people and then have a continuum of punishment when they come out. Uh, you can't punish them inside and not put and not prepare them for returning. Any incarceration, any period of incarceration, at the beginning when they walk in the door, they ought to be being prepared to leave, no matter how much time they got. And then once they come out, the doors of opportunity must open for them because then that builds 
outside. So I might as well work it on changing while I'm on the inside. But if I don't have that kind of hope, then all I can do is just uh, stay like I am and hope I become a better hustler or become a better whatever so that I don't get caught the next time. But if I have hope that there's going to be acceptance and something different and doors will open for me when I come out, then that is more of an incentive for me to reflect on my life and really do the hard work. So when I come out, I can experience, accept, and walk into the open opportunities that are there for me. Mm, Beautiful. Yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. As you know, we both know that... You know, the U.S. incarcerates um, more individuals than um, anywhere else in the world. Any other country. Exactly, right. And uh, especially our black and brown men. And so I want you to speak a little bit about the kind of impact you believe that this high incarceration rate has had on um, the, the black family, really the black men. And, uh, and what that you know what that looks like from your um, vantage point. Amen. Our families are suffering in silence. Uh, many of them, uh, because they're ashamed. Uh, our children are uh, not doing well in school, and it's not because they can't learn or because they're bad. It's because of the trauma of losing that one parent uh, or both parents in some cases. Um, Um, uh, it has devastated our community. Um, Anytime you want to destroy a race of people, you attack the male child. Uh, The Bible shows us that. History has shown us that. Um, And and so it's been devastating to us as a people and as a community. Um, And families are really hurting. The blessing is is that uh, people are starting to recognize that it's not just the work with the person who is incarcerated, but it's also supporting and uplifting the family that is left behind that actually is incarcerated with the person. Uh, I think people have a difficult time wrapping their minds around that when someone is incarcerated and they're part of that family, that family is actually um, in, in a context uh, uh locked up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this isn't just, uh, you know, I, I want to broaden the discussion because it isn't just, uh, I mean, our community is one of the main ones that is hit by this. But when I came out, I, I was on the Speakers Bureau for the United Way and I spoke to CEOs and executives of Fortune 500 companies all over Minneapolis and St. Paul. And there was not a time when I spoke that some folks didn't hang around until everybody left and began to talk, tell me how their son, daughter, niece, uncle, whoever was incarcerated and how the family had totally cut them off and wasn't even going to visit them because they were ashamed Mm. and that the speaking made them think differently about it. And so, um, the, the, you know, so the, the stereotype and, and the way that we think about incarceration impacts the families and it, and it uh, puts a stigma on the family of shame and disgrace. And, and that must be lifted. It, it, it must be. It must be. And we have to have um, tools 
and, and you know, and tips and, and undergirdings to help people. Hi, I'm not sure what happened. But I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> okay, that's okay. All right, we'll we'll, okay. we'll just continue. So I, what I was saying is, we must have tools and tips and things that are going to help support the family, as you said, because they're a critical piece. I, as you were talking, I was thinking about how, you know, if you look at a, a body, if you cut off an arm or or if you cut off a leg, in that body, that body is impacted you are not going to feel the same that is a missing part and you're going to have to learn to um, try to either live without it or try to figure out how you're going to maneuver while you don't have it you know and if you happen to get a a, a, what's it called a prosthesis uh, I think I'm saying that word right that then you you know then you when they if they're coming back you got to readjust I mean that whole thing of that's an adjust it's an adjustment and and people the the family does have to um, recognize one that they're hurting, but the, the support system for the family also needs to see how that family um, is hurting and needs support. Uh, yeah, family reconciliation and um, helping people to uh, walk back in, not just to community, but back to their families is really important. And the question, because when you're doing time, Everything almost stands still, even though you're watching the news, even though you're reading the paper, even though you're making phone calls and stuff, everything, when you come out, everything is changed and everything is different. And the question becomes, how does one manage their life? How does one come back to family without having some kind of mentor or somebody walking with them on the journey that can help them process and work through the whole reconciliation process? Because you can't come back to that family as if you never left. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, I, I want you to just hit just for a couple of minutes, uh, speaking to the the significant others and the, the wives yeah. of these men and, and in cases there are women that are incarcerated and they're coming back to men, yeah. but, but, um, but in particular women, what would you say to them? How can you encourage them on, um, you know, their spouses being locked up and, and maybe when they're coming home, what's some, what are some things that you can share with them? Um, they must prepare themselves and they must be very honest about what they feel and how they're feeling. And that honesty uh, must be expressed uh, to the person um, who is incarcerated. One of the things that happens is that people don't have the hard discussions until the person gets out because they either feel bad for them or they don't want to make their time worse. But the worst thing is, is to create a, a illusion that everything is okay when everything is not okay. Right. So when the person gets out, they're thinking that everything is okay. And now all the hidden anger, all the hidden frustration begins to be expressed. And it really catches the person off guard because 
they never felt that while they were incarcerated. Right. And so really being very honest about your feelings, being there, have real expectations. Don't, don't have unreal expectations, have very real expectations, but begin to have the honest dialogue and the honest conversation while the person is incarcerated. Uh, begin to work with uh, somebody, either a pastor, counselor, somebody, to really prepare yourself and be in the right frame of mind, uh, where even if you don't think you're going to be together, if you have children, you can still parent your children together and still be a support uh, to one another. So true. That's so true. You know, you when you use the word frustrated, that um, sparked something else for me. I know that oftentimes the 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 church, the church community, faith community overall, um, has had some trouble in assisting with reentry services. And so we have some that are doing great work, and we have some that really are not, and they're dealing with either maybe fear or judgment or pride. Um, how do you address that? Amen. Um, it was one of the things I ran up against when I got out. I um, went to work uh, with the Greater Minneapolis Council of Churches to develop a mentoring program for uh, men and women coming out of incarceration, systems of incarceration. And one of the things that I was very taken back by and shocked by was that the idea was that we would recruit mentors from the churches. Uh, and some of the things some of the pastors said really threw me off, you know. And then I was even more shocked when Prison Fellowship sent around a memo or email seeking felony-friendly churches. I, I just could not imagine how any church could not want to reach out to this population of people. And you're right, there's a fear. But what I used to say to pastors and what I'll say right now is that they're already in your churches. Their families are in your churches. And it would behoove you to really study your Bible and know that these are the very people we ought to be reaching for. And so I think more education, uh, 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 Sheila, I, I really think that we really have to have more dialogue about the incarceration, about incarceration, about who's incarcerated, because the fact is these are somebody's sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, uncles and aunts. These are our neighbors. They're, they're not murderers and killers and, and thieves and, you know, we got to put a human face to them. It is easy to not love people or care about people or even want to be bothered with people or fear people when you put labels on them and when you begin to label them felon or murderer or whatever. But this is somebody's son. I was somebody's son. I was a father. And so are they. Yes. somebody's mother, you know, our neighbors, and we're supposed to care about our neighbors. We have to. We, I mean, we, we have to. And, and I don't know if you knew that, you know, when I left Minneapolis and um, moved to the, um, the, the Washington, D.C. area, that 
I had a I Am Human campaign where I actually wore an orange jumpsuit for 30 days in the public. Yeah, and so I wore it in public, and I went to, um, you know, I went around the White House. I yeah. went to various faith communities. I went to grocery stores. I, you know, I was in the public eye uh, for the purpose of advocating on behalf of, you know, returning citizens, really, and inmates. And I did not, uh, one, it was, it was, it was very, it was painful. It was, uh, it was, but was purposeful. It was. I was on purpose wanting to uh, feel the humiliation of what it feels like, but also to be a visible sign of something that we don't talk about. You don't see the orange jumpsuit. Most most of the prisons and jails they're they're on the outskirts of, of towns, you know, across the nation. And but the point that I wanted to make here is that in a number of churches, people were they they were numb like either they didn't know what to do they didn't know what to say the you know or they wanted me to kind of be you know pushed away a little bit uh, and rarely did anyone really ask me like what i was doing or what was wrong or did i need anything and that really spurred on the work that I'm doing now in terms of identifying returning citizen friendly churches just like prison fellowship is and I didn't uh, and so I know that there are many congregations that are not and they there are there is fear there is um, confusion and to your point there needs to be more dialogue there needs to be more education and to the other point yes some uh, previous inmates are there right there in your congregation and they're afraid or have shame and do not even want to say anything that's right because they don't know how you're going to respond and so we do have to do a better a better job at um, educating and it, even the purpose of this this show Mission Possible is about communicating on um, on a faith level you know for employers for the returning citizen for the community at large to know these people are our people not just black and brown that as a as a whole every person uh deserves um an opportunity to be loved and and served and and protected and be able to contribute so anybody can be redeemed yes i mean you know it, it it comes down to a choice for the individual sometimes but for us and for society and a community um uh forgiveness and redemption are not built into the justice system, they're not built into the penal system, and they're not really built into society, you know. But if, if there's no redemption, if nobody can be redeemed, then that means you and I and everybody else are unredeemable. Right. And I don't believe that. I believe everybody, uh, we need to look at it as if everybody deserves uh, to be forgiven, deserves another chance, deserves an opportunity so that that redemption is is, is uh, permeated all throughout the community so when somebody gets out they feel it they feel like they're welcomed back so that they don't have to go back to the same old people doing the same old thing but they can walk into new relationships and new opportunities mm-hmm. that's good yes so so right you and you're actually bringing me or bringing us to our um, final question, which you somewhat answered already, because I always like to give 
my guests an opportunity to to say you know one final word to into the hearts and minds and homes of Americans if if this was in their household what would you want people to know what simply what would you want to say if you had the opportunity to speak to America that um, love is one of the most powerful things that we can do with one another and we're in a climate now where everything is about hate and arguments but if we really want to see people better, and if we want safe streets and safe communities, then we will open our hearts and minds to the people who are returning, giving them new opportunity, new pathways to living, which will really increase fatherhood, motherhood, it will increase good neighbors, it will make our streets safer, and we can have a transfer formed community. We need transformational love and transformational leadership to do that. Yes, yes, yes. Pastor, this time has just been rich. I so appreciate your transparency and your heart, your work. Uh, it is um, it is what we need and it is showing that we truly uh, do have the uh, possible missions are, are able to be fulfilled in the hearts yeah. and the minds of, of folks that have been incarcerated and also those people that, um, that are serving one another in this work. And so um, on this note, I just want to, again, thank you for your time and just want to you know, speak blessings to you and your family and the church and, and all that you're doing. Sister, to you as well, and I want to say to you that you have always led in this area uh, and that I really miss you and I miss working with you, And but I'm glad to see you still doing the good work. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, on that note, we um, I just want to thank uh, Pastor Heron for being on the show and for sharing his insights. Up next, you don't want to miss Coach Nate, who's challenging us to look within for our outcome. Again, I just want to thank... Uh, again, I just want to thank Pastor Heron for joining our show today. His uh, insight was, um, was powerful and transparent. And it, it's beautiful to be able to, to hear that story and how it continues to unfold in the work of supporting families and, um, and community. Up next, we are going to hear from Coach Nate. He, you don't want to miss this. He's challenging us to look within for our outcome. Coach? Thanks, Nate. Growing up in St. Paul, Minnesota, I didn't know much about jails, prisons, and people on probation. Many people ask me, and often they scratch their heads wondering why... Am I doing this kind of work? 
what got me into it is what they often say. Honestly, there's a long and a short answer. The truth is the truth. The truth is our God, the God of our Constitution, did not intend for us to be divided, misguided, or feel entitled. When you boil everything down into this melting pot, we all want to be respected. We desire our voice to matter. We want to contribute in some way that says, I'm meaningful. The truth is, I believe I was a voice for the voices that were muted or that were soft. The truth is, my voice is like your voice and may be used in varied ways to right wrongs, to inspire hope and be changed. Where you shop, what you learn, where you worship, these are all places for your voice and for your influence. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, the time is always right to do the right thing. Now I'm going to tweak just the second part of this. And he goes on to say, if we cannot do great things, we can do small things in a great way. I believe we can. I believe we will. Start today resourcing returning citizens and changing perception right where you are. This is Mission Possible. I'm Sheila Murphy. Visit missiontomobilization.com for our work and visit natebattle.com for today's battle plan. Until next time, and make your mission possible.